One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Speeding over here. Speeding. We're just over here eating some Halloween candy. Why does they always gummy bears always put way more of the white gummy? White's good. Gross. I don't. I don't disagree that it's good, but well, that one's like, all white. Yeah, I mean, like this bag had probably five white gummy bears in three colors. It's like, come on, guys. All right, this is gonna be stupid. Perfect. <laughs> is it gonna be "Don't Fear the Reaper"? Oh, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> His wife ran Walsh. Thirty million dollar budget estimate. Final cut from Robert Zemeckis. Another couple million for the VFX done at Weta in New Zealand to create the Reaper. Michael J. Fox leads the feature. Jeffrey Combs and D. Wallace are together with Arlie Ermey and Trini Alvarado. Come on, Busey, you'll play the Reaper. Busey, take my hand and play the reaper I'm not talking Gary, it's a son Jake Busey You'll be able to fly when you play the reaper Come on, Corey, let's talk the Frighteners Justin, take my hand, let's talk the Frighteners We'll be able to chat about the film we'll cinema possess The Frighteners Let's talk the Frighteners. Wow. Wow. Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. 
And I'm Justin Nisham. And with us, as always, is the D. Wallace of this podcast, Corey Clifford. D. Wallace. Who's D. Wallace? D. Wallace. She uh, plays Patricia in this movie. She's the mom from E.T. Oh, okay. Cujo. Wow, that's kind of the she nicest rocks. one did you, so far. Did you awesome. not do any research before you watch these movies? <laughs> yeah. Not even like IMDb, pull up, pull up the cast list, know who you're watching I forget for the names of people. Names are hard for me. Why isn't she the Jake Busey of the podcast? I know. Oh, I definitely thought it was going to go Jake Busey. <laughs> you were tired of Rhett Duncan on your life? <laughs> Busey would have been a high compliment to especially if you're talking Jake. We love Jake. He's one of our guys. Sure, yeah. Sure. yeah, we love Jake. Yeah, it's even this is the second. This is the second that we've talked movie about. of the pod where yeah. we've where we've talked about old Buse. And we gave him high marks in the last one, Starship Troopers. Check it out folks if you haven't heard it. Each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be sent on the old express bus to hell. No lines, no waiting. Folks, it's the final week of October. That means this is our final spooky movie of the month. That's crazy. Justin, any Halloween night plans you have in store? For All Hallows' Eve? We're having a little bonfire here, but I'm kind of bummed I haven't figured out what I'm going to be for Halloween yet. Mm. This is in LA. We don't have like... Is there even a spirit <laughs> Halloween store there? I'm sure there must be, but maybe but not. you would in... never. You would never do a spirit Halloween costume. No. I feel like for the listeners, Jack and Justin and me, but it's because Jack will put my costume together for me while I'm crying, being like, I have nothing to wear. Which I fully expect to do but this year. <laughs> Jack and Justin go have, in years past, gone very, very hard, like insane hard, so much so that one year Justin rented a full, what was that for, Tombstone? Yeah, full uh, Doc Holiday. That was like heavy and stuff too. Like it was insane. That's Val Kilmer in Tombstone. Not only Death is it makeup. A, a, yeah, it's a full blown coat, suit, hat, cowboy styles yeah. with the with the holster and the guns, big handlebar mustache, maybe even a little like you had a cane, didn't soul you? patch goatee. And then a yeah. sickly... Oh, my God. And one year, Justin dressed up as powder. <laughs> you come... See, my costumes, my costumes make you laugh. But when people outside of L.A. ask me like, what oh, I, I know. was for Halloween, every like <laughs> crickets for every sure. single one of my costumes. Sure. Not even... Doc Holliday, even... Frank Booth. Uh, uh, Kurt Russell from The Thing. Tom Powder. Cruise from Collateral. Wait, one year Jack Tom- and Justin were a couple's costume as... Um, good Time? Good, good Time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Jack pushed uh-huh. Justin in a wheelchair Specifically the, whole the night. scene in which Robert Pattinson <laughs> breaks out who he thinks is his brother from the hospital, but he's wrapped in so many bandages that he doesn't realize he'd get the wrong guy. Yeah, Justin was the bandit. brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be but fair, was, though, d- even in LA, we would go to parties and you would get like maybe a couple people yeah. who would know who you guys were everybody was always impressed by the level well, you went. and i don't do things for the critics <laughs> right. like peter jackson making the frighteners we we are the critic that's yes. true that's the only person we care to impress. is each other do i make jack laugh that's all that matters <laughs> right are we making a movie that no one's gonna watch except us we're just gonna chuckle our way into director jail absolutely exactly 
And for the few people that did recognize us, it was so gratifying okay. that to like. And it's kind of how you find your people when you go to like a party. It's like, okay, this is the exactly. person I want to talk to. That one yeah. party that we did, the, or that you guys did, the Good Times one was so funny because it was in a backyard, and you stayed committed to pushing Justin. Mm-hmm. In I pushed Justin wheelchair. around in a wheelchair the entire night, up and down hills, back porch <laughs> stairs. <laughs> Through yeah. back doorways into kitchens, bumping into counters. That's probably what made people like think I was actually injured. 100%. Oh yeah, a lot of people. I we think we never broke. Yeah. yeah. Did I have actual like back pain too? Wasn't I? Wasn't I recovering from an probably. episode? I mean, when are you not? So I think <laughs> it was a perfect costume. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just gave me an excuse to sit down the whole yeah. night. Mm-hmm. I mean, I said it on the Wolf podcast. I want to be James Spader from the third act of Wolf. And not one person yeah. will know who he is. They'll just think he's a werewolf. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's kind of a perfect one because people will understand that I'm a werewolf. And then my people at whatever party mm-hmm. we go to will say, are you James Spader from Wolf? And then I'll know this is a new friend. Mm-hmm. There's not, I, I right. just don't see one. Hey, and maybe not. That's the gamble. That's the risk I'm willing to take. The sad thing for me is that I feel like we did like our most epic Halloween costume during the pandemic like why did we waste it on that hereditary Are you talking about hereditary yes and i really want to do it again but i know you'll never let us no i don't really like but it was to double so down good on it was so good but it was good no, yeah last year we went opinion. to a halloween party where we were different characters from m night Shyamalan movies and not that was one good. actually one yes, person got, at a party we got one person we mm-hmm. one person see Shyamalan verse would be a good group theme if you got mm-hmm. eight people together and everyone was yeah from a different the, movie the unbreakable universe yeah yeah. I would yeah. love to be a character from Frighteners if that was possible. The be judge? like a ghost. The judge would be an insane costume. If you could do you that. Could be the, you could be the Reaper. J- Gary, or uh, what's his The one? Grim Reaper. Oh, Just be the Grim Reaper. I could Reaper. be the Grim Reaper, sure. sure. Yeah, not specific. Not yeah, it's specific not. Enough. It's not. My brother was the Grim Reaper one year for Halloween. And because of that, for my whole life, I had the whole Grim Reaper getup. I had the, the cloak, the scythe, technically the mask. You know, we had a skull mask. So I use that in a lot of um, my early days films that I made with my friends. I got to be honest, doing James Spader from Wolf, you can you can get away with that. Doing any character from The Frighteners and you're the biggest dork I've ever seen. <laughs> I just don't see a way to pull it off. Like I think There's not, not only will someone have that question of like, wait, who are you? What is this movie? Like nobody knows this movie. I think Jeffrey Combs would and be a, a good shame, costume. And that's a shame, audience. That's a Maybe shame. Maybe Jeffrey Combs. Because Jeffrey Combs gives you an action that you can do. If you yeah. have an action, if you can take off, the unzip jacket. your shirt, yeah. and pull open your chest and say my body's a roadmap of pain <laughs> then that works uh, he's so good yeah. and so creepy he's fucking awesome speaking of justin let the people know what movie we're talking about today today we're talking about peter jackson's 1996 <laughs> masterpiece the frightness that was good there has been a destructive force unleashed on this town such as i have Never see. Oh my god, I don't believe this is not happening! We have got a poltergeist! Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but it's not gonna be cheap. Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability. Psychic investigator? To communicate with the dead. 
You, you can see spirits? Emanations are normally confined to the cemetery. You cannot push spirits around! Although they do escape. And an uncanny knack. We're gonna scare the living daylights out of your parents. <gasps> or making a profit off the living. We're supposed to be his business partners. Everyone says that you're a fraud, but I've seen what you can do. But now... Some things put the fear of death in the living. What is happening to me? And send the dead yes! running for their lives. I've seen a figure in a cape. That was the soul collector. From Universal Pictures and Robert Zemeckis. Your next pal. And acclaimed director Peter Jackson. We don't stop till the screaming starts. You dead? The Frighteners. Love it. It feels like a haunted mansion ride mm-hmm. at Disneyland yeah. mm-hmm. as a movie. And I love it. Yeah, this movie taps into a very specific feeling, tone. nostalgia yeah. feeling of like, it is Saturday afternoon. It is fall time. You're a kid. Mm-hmm. You stumble upon this movie. It's kind of spooky, but it's funny. And it's Michael J. Fox. And it just, I don't know, it has all the feel good. Yeah, it's like just the right amount of rated R, but to be like cool for a kid to watch, but also kind of scary and thrilling. And yeah, there's like a comedic tone to it and an energy to it that is and I I say this with all due respect, it's very 90s. Yes. But... In a way I love. In a way that I miss kind of dearly. Like, you really don't... I feel like post-Joss Whedon, you don't get horror comedy like this anymore. Now everything is real snarky and referential. This isn't that. You know, it's still funny, but it's more classically funny to me. A current example of a movie I think trying to do this tone would be like Housebound. I feel like Mm -hmm. it's trying to go for this tone. It's a little bit more in the vein of like the Sam Raimi humor that I really miss and you don't really get anymore. Yeah, a little Looney Tooney. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it does have that feeling. But it doesn't off put me with its its humor and its sometimes kind of childish tone. Uh, It always kind of keeps me there. And part of that could just be nostalgic because this movie was hugely important to me as a little kid. Uh, and so I think I have just like an affection for it that will probably never go away. There's also something about, though, like Michael J. Fox can do this type of comedy so well. He's one of our classics. He's what creates such a nostalgia feeling, too, because it's like, oh, Michael J. Fox. I He's love really him. good in it. And w- what I thought of, too, while watching this movie was uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Because yeah, me too. Michael J. Fox is doing a lot of acting to nothing. He's Bob Hoskins in this performance. I think he's carrying this movie in a very similar way. uh, And I think it's just as impressive what he's having to do in terms of working with all of these pretty early VFX that Peter Jackson Mm -hmm. was experimenting with. I think the things that make the movie like Looney Tunesy for me are like, one, the detective is pretty like cartoony yeah. to me. Yeah. He packs an Uzi. You know, he's afraid of women yelling at him. Yeah. Uh, when you shoot p- ghosts in the face, uh, their eyes pop back behind their heads like yeah. it's a Burton movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you when you when someone's down on the ground and you kick them in the in the side, their gun flies up in the air and you catch it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Little details like that that, again, don't ruin the tone of the movie, but 
you know, that's what I think of when I think of a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And and then speaking of Tim Burton, I I do think the Danny Elfman of it all. Yeah. Like if if you didn't know what movie you were watching and you just popped this on and saw the opening uh, studio uh, title card and then we roll into this like house haunted and house this opening mm-hmm. sequence with Danny Elfman music playing you would think you're in a hundred percent this is a Peter Jackson movie uh, our first Peter Jackson movie on the podcast a lot of people probably are familiar with him from the Lord of the Rings series King Kong the Hobbit movies he's from New Zealand and he very much like Sam Raimi made his name doing like really gory splatter features. First movie was called Bad Taste about aliens, and it was really raunchy and super gross. His second movie was Meet the Feebles, which is a puppet, almost like a Muppet kind of movie where they're killing each other and fucking each other. And then his third film is a movie called Dead Alive, which was originally titled Brain Dead, which some people now call it. I don't. I call it Dead Alive. That's how I was introduced to it. Probably the goriest zombie movie there is. Has a lot of reanimator vibes, tons of comedy built into it, but it's a gross out fest. And then his fourth movie was uh, Heavenly Creatures, which is a pretty straightforward drama with Melanie Linsky and Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Great film that won him a lot of awards and definitely upped him in terms of his status as a filmmaker internationally. And so this was his follow-up movie to that. This was his first like American film, even though it was shot in New Zealand. This was made for uh, America. Robert Zemeckis was producing. And you can feel him trying to take that style that he introduced with Dead Alive and Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles and sort of update it for an American's audience and keep the sort of stature that he had gotten himself with heavenly creatures so he's playing with those tones but he's being safer with it he's not being quite as raunchy and gross oddly he's going for a pg-13 rating which seems to be maybe why this movie isn't as good as it could be because he was aiming for pg-13 and then when they slapped an r on it yeah it's kind of like well oh, if i knew yeah. it was gonna get an r i could have done it i would have made an r-rated movie yeah yeah that sucks. blows to me it feels like a tales from the crypt which is what yes. it was originally when he uh, peter jackson and his wife fran walsh they came up with a concept while they were writing heavenly creatures and they wrote like a two-page little treatment for it. And it ended up getting on the desk of Robert Zemeckis because he was looking to make some Tales from the Crypt movies, which would end up being Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, Bordello of Blood, which were the feature spinoffs of the TV series. This feels like it could totally be one of those movies, but he liked it so much, uh, Robert Zemeckis, that he decided to not make it a Tales from the Crypt movie and allow Peter Jackson to develop it and eventually direct it as its own standalone movie just because he had so much confidence in him as a filmmaker and the idea itself. I was obsessed with Tales from the Crypt, so this movie was right up my alley. Justin, do you remember when this movie was in theaters, do you remember seeing any of the marketing for it or anything as a kid? Vaguely. The original poster, which doesn't seem to be on any of the physical media editions anymore. I remember the VHS tape having like um, one of those hologram things. Yeah, like lenticular. Tape. It was called lenticular. Lenticular, yeah. You turn the tape and the 3D image mm-hmm. of the Jake Busey's uh, Grim Reaper face pushing through like a beige or cream colored wall. Yeah. I had that um, taste. It was so eye pop, mm-hmm. eye catching to me and compelling. Um, and I think what got me to to pull it off the the shelf, but I don't think I I for sure did not see this in theaters. Yeah. 
Didn't see it in theaters. I think this was like a family video rental. Yeah, I remember being afraid of it when the commercials and stuff would come on TV when it was in theaters. But just like you, when it came to video, that box, that lenticular box was so mesmerizing that I was like, I think I want to watch this movie. Even though I'm kind of scared of it, this is so cool <laughs> that I got to see it. And I remember renting it, loving it, and then um, going to Sam's with my parents and buying it from the Sam's Club VHS rack. And so I had that little lenticular VHS for a long, long time. Corey, when did you first see this movie? I think during the pandemic when you showed it to me. <laughs> I had never even heard of this movie. And I remember, I think it was during like lockdown pandemic times, mm -hmm. you were like, I want to watch this movie. I think you would think it was fun yeah. or something like that. And we watched it and I did. This is a very specific kind of Corey movie. For sure. Where you really like this tone. This I love feel. this kind of tone. And you know who else does? My parents. Mm -hmm. Because they were in town this weekend. And it was so funny. My mom is a big fan of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And she like saw the DVD like sitting out. She wasn't feeling very good when she was here. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the movie we're doing for the pod. And she's like, oh, I, I want to I wanna watch. And I, I wasn't sure. And I was like, no, you know, I think this would be actually a pretty fun, like I said, Saturday afternoon movie. My dad was sitting behind on the table, like doing some work on a computer. And my mom immediately got so sucked in. And my dad, like such like a classic dad watching a movie way, like he started watching it. Like I could see him like stop typing and then he would like be watching and then he like went from sitting at the table to standing at the table to standing behind the couch and just like watching it while standing yeah. for like an hour and then eventually like the last 30 minutes sat and watched it that classic dad thing of like i'm not gonna commit myself to watching this movie so i'm not even gonna make the commitment of sitting down i'm just gonna stay standing and he watched literally the entire movie standing behind the couch because he couldn't pull himself away from it but yeah. he also didn't want to give it the commitment of sitting but it down. made me think like wow the power of the frighteners it really like, did it's the power of the frighteners and i also do think it's the power of michael j fox yes michael j fox is just so he was Lovable. a star. He Lovable. was a star. And I was saying this to Corey. It's very strange that we don't have a lot of work from Michael J. Fox currently because obviously he, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and he essentially, he didn't ever retire or quit acting, but he stopped acting very frequently. And so my face memory of him is this Michael yeah. J. Fox. It's this 34-year-old. Like really. Yeah. He's still around. He's still a presence in... Hollywood and the industry. He just put out a documentary this year that was very good. Justin, you watched the the Michael J. Fox documentary, right? I did. I loved it. Yeah, very interesting and shed a lot of insight into him and his experience with Parkinson's that I wasn't aware of. And one of the interesting things that he, I think, reveals in the documentary is that, you know, for a long time, he was diagnosed and didn't tell anybody. And so he did a lot of projects with Parkinson's sort of creeping up on him without anybody knowing. And he said one of the, the tells that you can see when you go back and watch his movies is that his left hand was sort of the first thing to start showing the signs of it. And so he's always either has his left hand in his pocket or he's doing something with his left hand. You can very clearly see him in a lot of these scenes. He's always kind of doing something, yeah, holding something in his left hand out. or... Yeah. Because it is in every single scene. This was one of the perfect R-rated horror movies for the Nijim family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bet. this would have been one that my dad probably would have popped in for himself uh -huh. to watch to make sure that it was okay. Which, like, I just don't understand why he wouldn't just, like, sit with me and watch it and be like, we're going to watch it together when things get weird. 
We're going to talk through them, and if things ever cross a line, I'm going to stop it, it and we're going to have a conversation. Well, like, yeah. wouldn't that be a much more valuable <laughs> I think so. learning Instead, experience? he's having dad? to watch it twice. <laughs> you hear me, dad? You fucked me up. You tried. You tried as hard as you could to make sure I turned out right, but you fucked up. Um, he made no, you just like him. the dark side even more. Yeah. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Really, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, mad. I'm yeah, fine. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm not. I'm telling you, I'm not mad. No, I'm we fine. can tell. Do you need um, a moment to wipe the tears from yeah. your face? But this was like this. So clearly, is not an R-rated movie. Yeah, yeah. No. and it has like absolutely nothing that any parent of rational mind would have any hesitation to share. With I couldn't kid. believe it. I right. didn't even realize it until you were watching that documentary. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? This is R? Did you watch the four-hour documentary? You fucking know it, dude. Where did you find it? On my Blu-ray. <laughs> so I have the 15th anniversary edition Frideners Blu-ray. It's a fucking Show terrible. us that cover. It's a terrible cover. Show us cover. that cover. This is a Show- piece of Ugh. shit. And God. to make matters even worse, it has a sticker that is, you know, one of those like stickers where if you start to peel it, it leaves this nasty ass residue uh-huh. on it. So I just have to leave the sticker on there. You know what would be like a nice product for you and me to co-develop and sell <laughs> on our website? Mm. Gugon specifically formulated for DVD, DVD and Blu-ray, Blu-ray covers. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Honestly, you guys will sell did you, did like six best... of those. <laughs> yeah. Did you get a barcode, a, a Best Buy barcode on your thing that yeah. you tried to peel off and it left behind a nasty thing? Use Jack and Justin. <laughs> goo God. Bullshit. Dude, I, I, I would go through my whole collection because this goo is all over my DVDs. I hate it because it gets mm-hmm. picks up dirt and hair. Here's something all the physical media nerds out there can relate to. Don't you hate it when you buy a brand new DVD that's shrink wrapped in that like hard plastic, mm-hmm. not the soft plastic, the hard plastic, and you rip it, you're... Ripping into that new DVD you just bought smells amazing. You cut it open. When you get to the spine, the plastic sticks to the fucking spine. Yes. And you and got you these little particles. And it leaves behind this like little. It's these little shreds. Gir- yeah. It's like your Blu ray has eczema. Why? Why? I, are I they don't even understand. gluing it? it to the spine. Is it glue or is it like going through some sort of machine that's like heating it and melting it to the side or something? I don't, I don't understand it. <laughs> Yes, that's a, that is a problem that happens all like, the time. Because that you put it on your shelf and you have the spine facing out. The last thing you want is when the light hits it, when the <laughs> yep. sun comes in through the window. You see those little <laughs> lights up your fucking collection. And you got all this like weird flakes of flake off of it. Yeah, it's terrible. But yes, my Blu-ray has two versions of the film: the theatrical cut and the Peter Jackson director's cut. Which I will go ahead and say. Don't fucking watch this director's cut, folks. It's, <laughs> it's a classic example of a bad, worse movie. Oh. 13 minutes of extra footage that never needed to be in the movie to begin with. That's usually always the case. Also contains a four-hour making-of documentary directed and edited by Peter Jackson That's himself. hilarious He made me. this documentary. I have had this Blu-ray for a long time, and for many years, I never watched the special features. And then at some point, I think it was during the pandemic, I had heard that there was a four-hour documentary about the making of the Frighteners. And at that point in time, I was just watching making of documentaries. I think it was when we were writing a script and I was just looking for filmmaking inspiration. So I was like, I got to see this four-hour documentary. Little did I know I already had it on my shelf, but I wasn't aware of it. And so I spent like two days trying to track down torrents and places I could buy it from, only to find out... I was like, I never thought to actually look and see if it was on my Blu-ray. And I pulled my Blu-ray off the shelf, and lo and behold, 
it has the four hour documentary on there. So I was able to just pop it in and watch it. So I'd actually seen this before, but I did watch it again for this podcast. You're committed. And I'll say it's an awesome documentary. It goes as in depth as you would want any documentary to go into into the filmmaking process. This is a super fun movie to do that to. It's very much like Roger Rapid in that Peter Jackson and Robert Zemeckis were definitely pushing the boundaries of computer-generated effects way beyond they'd ever gone before with this film. This is 1996, very early days of computer-generated effects. So this did break new ground. And I got to say, there are a handful of sequences that I think look like crap. But for the most mm-hmm. part, I think the effects hold up pretty damn well in this movie. I do too. Also, what year was the movie Casper? Because it's I believe it was nineteen ninety six. Ninety five, maybe. Oh, I think it was ninety five, but that's just off the top of my head. Because they did it kind of they yeah. did a kind of a lot of similar ghost type stuff I would, in their movie. Yes. And I the whole time while watching this movie I felt like this feels like the adult version of Casper. I would love to go back because I haven't seen Casper in a long time. Me neither. I'd love to go back and watch it and also watch behind the scenes making ofs about it too. Yeah. Because it does seem I, similar. I was bothered by a couple effects. One, I think anytime someone is like floating up into heaven looks like doo-doo yeah. mm-hmm. to me. One, I just wish it was a little more creative than that. And two, the the tunnel, a little portal, just ugh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> then the second shot like that and, really sorry go on go on no no go ahead well that that the sucking up to heaven and the sucking to hell just completely yeah. reminded me of hideaway the whole time i was yeah. like this is exactly oh, yeah. the same as that movie and we gave that movie so much shit for its well, tunnel to hell hideaway was like a little bit worse <laughs> <laughs> but also one shot that i really hated in the moment i had such a visceral reaction to it and i remember feeling when it happened, this doesn't feel like it belongs. And it was when and it was when Jeffrey Combs gets shotgun blasted through the face and then his like Instant ghost head, head is yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And then when I watched one of the documentaries, it said that he added that after the fact when he already got the R rating and he mm-hmm. was like, Well, fuck it, I might as well zhuzh it up a bit and i was like well i think that was a bad call i get where the instinct is coming from you want to try to see how you can retroactively make it a little bit more creative but i get where peter jackson's coming from he thinks it's funny Mm -hmm. to blow someone's head off and reveal the ghost that's just i gotta say i think it's kind of clever i think it's real cute I like it. Real cute. And and I'll say too, (laughs) as a as a as a kid, it was a burned in thing. It was one of the things from the movie that I remembered forever. And I still think it's a clever idea. I don't think it's a bad punch up from what he had originally. Because originally he just gets shot and his whole body goes flying through the door, which is a cool looking shot. They show it in the documentary what it originally looked like. I don't mind I don't mind the punch up. I mean the the effects of it are a little cartoonish looking. You can sort of you can see that the exploding head is a fully animated exploding head, but it doesn't look terrible to me. Um, and I think it's kind of a fun idea, but I can understand it's, yeah. it's pushing no, a boundary. You can't please, you can't please yeah. everyone. To me, the, the, the most egregious effects surprisingly are when um, the Reaper turns into a blob and Michael J. Fox is sort of fighting it in its blob form, where it's sort of oh like a T-1000, yeah. which is yeah. surprising because T-1000 in Terminator 2 looks pretty great. Yeah, those are mistakes. But the, when the Reaper is like 
flying around as the Grim Reaper and chasing people. I think that stuff looks pretty great. Yeah. I think the ghost stuff looks pretty good overall for the most part. Ghost stuff is decent. The dog was cool. The judge was cool. Mm -hmm. That scene that was Rob Botine or Rick Baker uh, who did who, the Judge. Rick Baker wow. who just did the Judge. Yes, that's kind of cool. Rick Baker who we just talked about on the Wolf episode. I really liked when uh, Jake Busey's face is finally revealed as that like piece of sludge on the tombstone. That looked good. And, yes, and then it's like uh, I think it was a monster at first, and it was like the monstrous Grim Reaper yeah. face, and Michael J. Fox starts beating slapping it, slapping it around, um, and that felt like a real practical thing mm-hmm. he was holding. I got a couple more. Pro- I like the movie. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I yeah. Got, got a couple, couple small gripes. <laughs> I think the use of Guns and weapons in this movie is pretty fucking weird to me. I don't really understand why there's an Uzi. I can talk. I but can yeah, tell you. Early... Wh- I I sort of Go agree ahead. with you. Tell me why. Now I well <laughs> the reason why is just that in 1995 when this movie was being filmed, action movies yeah. were the biggest thing ever, and movies were sold on how many guns and bullets were in them. This is the heyday of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I can tell you as a kid, when Michael J. Fox pops up double fisting two huge machine guns, I thought it was the coolest shit in the world. Sure. I couldn't wait to get to that part as a kid. It, so it's it, the times like that we yeah. were just much more in like an action movie loving era. And so any yeah. way you could slip in action movie shit, even into genre stuff like this was embraced. I know. I mean, you know, at one point in history, women weren't allowed to vote. Yeah. I'm not defending this it. Was a, this is a disgraceful chapter of American <laughs> cinema history. I guess we I don't look, have to be okay. I look back on it a little differently. I understand why you think that. I don't yeah. look back on it as disgraceful. I have a very different relationship to guns now than I did, obviously, as a kid back yeah, then. Same. But I actually do kind of appreciate this era of gun fetishism for its curiosity and for what it was doing with it. You know, when you watch a John Woo movie, when you watch Michael Bay movies, that fetishism really created some, I think, very interesting and profound pieces of cinematic art that is purely based around gun violence. In a way that when I look at the gun violent art that we have nowadays, I don't feel the same way about it. I feel a little bit more sickly when I watch stuff with gun violence in it now, especially stuff that glorifies it. The John Wick movies, for instance, are hard for me because they're not quite as impressive to me, and I just kind of see an insidious bloodthirstiness that was certainly there in the 90s, too. And again, it's probably nostalgia that is coloring this for me. But I can watch a lot of those action movies from the early 90s and really feel like this was a movement. Yeah. This is a movement that I, I understand I just, was there uh, that is impressive to look back more, on. There's more similarities between a John Wick movie and a John Woo movie than you care to admit. And a lot of people would disagree with you about John Wick not having uh, more of that. Subs- I think if you're going to condemn a John Wick movie, yeah. then a John, a John Woo movie would fall into the, the same boat. I can recognize the artistry and the choreography and the cinematography of a John Woo movie and, and and say that there are these elements of it that are really interesting, but I don't know if it has to be dependent on 
the use of guns, like if you were to substitute the guns for something else in a genre movie, you still have a filmmaker who is brilliant and capable of doing really compelling and really interesting things, mm-hmm. uh, even without all that gun action, right? You right. could substitute it for something else. Not saying, um, you, see, you know, a gun, what do you, you substitute it for a sword? Okay, it's still violent, but I don't know. There's just something about the gun stuff that rubs me the wrong way, even removed from our current day modern conversation about guns and banning weapons. I don't know. I mean, just for the audience, it's like, it's not just the Uzi, but there's Arlie Ermi playing kind of like a Vietnam vet who uh, who has two assault rifles mm-hmm. that then Michael J. Fox later gets and, and has an extended two-minute-long two sequence where he's firing round yeah. after round after round on the Grim Reaper. Loved it as a kid. That's not interesting yeah. to me now. That's yeah. a yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I can't speak how I would have felt about it as a kid. Yeah. But I just mean like without bringing politics into it, I'm just saying how I feel yeah. as an audience. I agree. It's just... It doesn't belong to me in a in a in such a, a movie with so much texture, so much heart, so much magic and horror and gothic and supernatural. Yeah. To bring guns into it feels like two different wor- worlds that are competing a little yeah. bit for me. I feel that, and I, I will say that that it does kind of go in lo- in line with the Peter Jackson vibe when you watch a movie like Dead Alive. He's upping the ante of how a man can kill zombies. Like the way yeah. he, ha- he and he has yeah. to deal with hordes of them. He he goes really big. And so I think he was looking for a way to do the same thing, but with ghosts. How can I have this man battle ghosts and really yeah. up the ante in an extreme way? And for the record, I am pro, I am pro slaughter with a lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. Bring bring in mass lawnmower mm-hmm. casualties. I'm on board. But yeah. assault assault rifles and grim reapers. Right. I'm out. Ghost movies. Where do we all stand on just the genre of ghosts in horror movies? Would you say that you get excited by the idea of ghosts in movies, or is it something that kind of has to win you over? Ghosts are the scariest thing possible. Do you find a movie like <laughs> yeah. Paranormal Activity? Yes, that's like like that type of movie I can recognize as like not like an excellent movie or whatever, but a movie like Paranormal Activity, yes, it will scare the shit out of me. I will think about it. Like, I have to actively, when I'm laying in bed and it's, like, dark, I have to actively, like, remind myself and be like, don't go there Mm -hmm. because I will go there. And ghosts, I don't know why, but they scare the shit out of me. I believe in them because I'm afraid that if I don't believe in them, they'll try and prove to me that they're real, and I really don't want them to do that. Big fan of '90s ghost movies. We yeah, talking yeah, Ghost yeah. Ship. Mm. We talking Gothica. We talking House on Haunted Hill. Thirteen. Oh. We talking Thirteen Ghosts. So you're talking Scary. about that Dark Castle uh, mm-hmm. brand of Dark. horror, which was also Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis was the producer of all those Dark Castle wow. movies. Zemeckis was was a big influence on horror in the '90s. We remember him for Back to the Future and Forrest Gump, but this man also created Tales from the Crypt, co-created it. He had his finger on the pulse of good horror in the 90s he was a twisted freak he really was there are a lot of ghost movies that i do love i love the sixth sense i love the others i love the entity poltergeist is a little bit of a stretch to call it a ghost movie technically it's a poltergeist movie technically it's a poltergeist poltergeist but that's what's the difference is there a difference they're they're cousins they're cousins all right i agree poltergeist is a great one but i also think poltergeist is a scary movie too yeah i think it's got good scares but in general, ghost movies, for me, 
give me a whiff of, am I going to be bored? When I hear a movie is about ghosts, I start to question if the movie is going to spend a lot of time slow walking through the dark only for it to do something that doesn't actually scare me. And it's just that repeated over and over again. Cause so many every movies, horror movie. Yeah. That's dude. true. Well, would you but, consider a movie like the ring, a ghost movie? No, but Hell that is a, yeah. but, but that's a ghost. I guess she that's true. Is a ghost. Yeah. I, I guess I spoke too soon on that. And that's an example of a ghost movie that won me over oh, and that I know is a good one. Don't sleep on the ring people. I know we might've talked about it before on this pod, but I rewatched it recently, and it is so strong. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I want to rewatch it, but I'm honestly very scared. I do. I, I would consider myself a general, on a broad sense, I would say I do believe in ghosts. I believe that a place could be haunted by a, a, a spiritual vibe of the people who were there or, or somebody who died within that space. I do believe in that. Uh, but I can't say that I'm afraid of ghosts. And so these movies don't necessarily inherently tap into like a fear of mine. Any supernatural experiences you've ever had? Me? I've had none. Me neither, and I pray that I never do. But people did at our wedding. We have had a supernatural experience, Corey. What? And Justin, you're sort of tangentially involved. Because when we first moved into our first place in North Hollywood, we first moved to LA back in 2011, we moved into this place that had a shattered shower door in the garage. And we were always like, what's this fucking shattered shower door here? We got to get rid of this at some point. We did probably. And then I want to say like a year after living there, three in the morning, out of the blue, the shower door in our bedroom shattered while we were asleep in the bed, just woke us up. We walked into the bathroom, it shattered everywhere. You think that was a ghost? Well, when we moved in, there was a shattered shower door. And then while we were living there, the door suddenly shattered out of nowhere. So I think there was. Maybe they just bought I know. Glass. Maybe that random. <laughs> I'm thinking of that landlord, and I bet he just bought like the 99 cents version of shower doors. I think I felt in that moment, we have a ghost here. Spooky. I don't like that it. That was trying to call attention to itself and probably did it to the previous people, too, and then shatters the doors. I did have a dream the other night, like maybe one week ago, where I was in this really dark pyramid kind of cave and I was like floating and for whatever reason I thought like I should just let go right now and I fell story after story after story into darkness and into total abyss and I kept going 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 down and it never stopped and finally I hit the bottom and I was laying on this cold like mausoleum-esque floor in total darkness looking up thinking how am I going to get back up and when I like focused in front of me there was a grim reaper figure hovering over me in a hooded black robe and it leaned towards me and its face got so close to mine that i could feel like its skin or it's like i I felt stubble against my face and i and that was one that was like a time that i remember catching myself waking up screaming Mm. like i because i was screaming trying to get this thing away from me and then i i yeah i don't know it was just a image that stuck in my head that i haven't been able to like forget this this grim reaper character the image that's going to be burned into my head now is you said you could feel its stubble so i'm imagining a grim reaper with like a five o'clock shadow like a billy mays (laughs) beard (laughs) yeah yeah that's an image i'm never going to get out of my head but i woke up thinking like is was the implication that it was like me? That it was like <gasps> oh, me? Justin, you're giving you know, me like, chills. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, on that note, folks, let's take a quick break so we can all go shake off these spooky vibes. <laughs> and we'll be right back to talk more about the Frighteners. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to Cinema Possessive. We are talking Peter Jackson's The Frighteners, 1996. This movie opens with a bang, I think. It's that Danny Elfman score. What do you think about the Danny Elfman score? I didn't have any issues with it. I really liked it. What did you What did you not like about it, Jack? Well, it just isn't that memorable. In comparison to Danny Elfman scores, like it certainly sounds like an Elfman score. It's got all the hallmarks of it. In comparison to most other scores, this is a good score. Because it does everything you need. It, brings, it gives you the vibes. It brings you're the energy. For. It brings the vibes. I'll just say it doesn't have like a melody that you remember. Like there's not a Frighteners melody that I can ever. Th- and I've seen this movie dozens of times. That's true. There's not a melody that I can hum other than just the classic. La, 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 la. So it's like, I just kind of <laughs> wish. The classic. The classic. Yeah. That's a classic Elfman thing. <laughs> you just you just sang every Tim Burton movie. Exactly. La, 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 la. I just wish there was something more particular. What do you think? Tim Burton and him got some beers. They got a little tipsy. <laughs> Tim Burton said, I will fuck you. If you make a score better than anything you've done for yeah. me, I will fuck. I will never hire you again. Yeah. I will. T- if you if you fucking deliver a good score, I swear to God on my next movie, I will take your voice out of the movie. <laughs> I'll only have you sing the songs and I'll hire somebody else to do the voice acting. That's what I'll do. Wow. To you. And he's like, but you already did that to me back three years ago in 93. I'll do it again. (laughs) I apologize to you, but I'll do it again. (laughs) Yeah, I think this cold open is pretty cool, pretty scary. Flying in on a miniature of a house. Also Tim Burton. Yes, very Tim Tim Burton. Burton Like the there's a lot of miniature work in this movie, and it does a pretty great job, I think, of blending it and making it feel real. They'll start on a miniature shot and then they will composite in an actual shot into it so that it's blending a miniature with a real live action physical shot Mm. that helps it. So you're like pushing in on this house, you go through a window, you crawl through the floorboards, you see some live rats in there and stuff, and you come out and we're in this kind of creepy house, Patricia. Played by D. Wallace, 
is running from something in the house. Her mother, Juliana McCarthy, screaming at something. She's too young! It's wrong! She's too young! Sins of the flesh will ruin her! And we see this creature that can, like, move through wallpaper and stuff. You see his body and his face. Particularly back in 1996, I mean, I thought this was the coolest looking shit I'd ever seen. It still plays. It's still cool, I think. Yeah. What do you think is the logic logic behind that? I can't figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, it seems to be moving through walls and carpets and things like that. And that's how it can sort of reach out and grab you. But then about 20 minutes later, it's just a free floating figure With a cape and a scythe. You just can't think too hard in the Frighteners. Yeah. yeah. Just be on for the ride. Have a good time. Don't think about, like, the mechanics of the ghosts too hard. Yeah. By the way, pull pull, pull out your Blu-ray real quick. What is the, on the back of the box where it says rated R, why is it rated R? What does it say? Terror and violence. It's so funny. So I streamed it on Peacock, mm-hmm. I think. And it said rated R for fear and violence. Interesting. Fear. Fear and violence. Well, mine says terror, so it's like the same thing. It's just yeah, different words. But when when is when has something ever been yeah. rated R for fear or terror? I mean, he talks about it in the documentary that like they were bending over backwards to rate this movie R. They were telling him like in this opening sequence when she fires the shotgun through the door, she puts too many holes in the door, so it's going to be rated R unless you cut down on how many times she shoots the door. He's like, that is a fucking first, like. I sounded more like Paul McCartney there. It was a fist. Never has a film been rated awful. Shooting a doll. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just a general tone thing that they were like bumping up against. They were just like, this movie's Mm -hmm. too scary, which I think is a high compliment that you made a movie too scary for a PG-13 rating in the eyes of the dumb NPAA. But did you notice that D. Wallace was credited as D. Wallace Stone at the beginning of this film? I don't know if I caught that. She's normally credited as Dee Wallace in you know, her early work, E.T. and Cujo and The Howling. But um, at this point in time, she was married to a man named Christopher Stone. He was an actor. He's in The Howling. He's also in uh, Cujo as well. They met on an episode of Chips. They got married. Sadly, while oh. she was filming this movie, The Frighteners, which they were filming in New Zealand, uh, Christopher Stone had a heart attack. <gasps> so she had to emergency fly back from uh, New Zealand. They gave her however many weeks she needed to like be there. He ended up having heart surgery. It was successful. She was with him to help him sort of like uh, heal. And he was like, you should go back because they're waiting on you. You know, like they are no. changing their whole schedule around. This is horrible. What so he, en- he encouraged her to go back to New Zealand and keep shooting. So she did. And I think one week after she got back there, he uh, got a blood clot and he died suddenly. God. And her uh, daughter, who was, I think, seven, found him. Oh, my God, Jack. So then she had to fly back for his funeral. And um, Peter Jackson was like, whatever you need, we will work it out. We could, you don't even have to come back if you don't want to. Like, we will rework the script and we'll find a way to finish this movie with what we have of you. We're not going to cut you out of it or anything like that. And she was like, no, no, no. I like, I need the distraction. I want to do it. So she moved her whole entire family to New Zealand to finish the film. Her entire family being her daughter and like their caretaker that was helping. And she tells, you know, she says it was like a beautiful experience to be able to do that because they all really rallied around her, the whole set, the crew, Mm. Peter Jackson. They really like 
helped her through the situation. And she even tells a story about like when they were shooting the stuff where they were like floating to heaven, they had the actors up on wires and her daughter was there that day. And she was like, you're like Peter Pan. And and Peter Jackson was like, do you want to be like Peter Pan? And so they like made a little special child rig so that they could just fly her daughter around. And then at the end of the shoot, the production originally was like, you know, we're going to have to like figure out a, a way to settle up for all of these business class flights that you had to take back and forth. And Dee Wallace being the fucking trooper that she is was like, oh, anything, you know, I'll I'll do it. And she said when she went to the bookkeeper to settle up, the bookkeeper was like, it's on Peter. Like he, <sighs> he told us to pay for it all. And makes me cry. So she's like, I'll never uh, forget the way he treated me on this movie in such a tough time. Wow. Good. Good person. Yeah. And Dee Wallace is fucking awesome. She is she's amazing. Awesome. She's an amazing actor. She's always been great. She's incredible in E.T. I think her best performance by a long shot is Cujo because she carries that movie and it's such a gut wrenching performance. She's so charming too. Like she has such that like she's funny. She's about beautiful. Her. She feels real. Do you know what her the first sentence though on her IMDb is? I hate this. Whoever wrote this. Dee Wallace, an attractive, happy go lucky blonde actress. <laughs> that's all the first sentence of her imdb what's wrong with that Th- that's just like it's givers uh, an attractive happy-go-lucky blonde actress if i said that sentence to you would you be like oh yeah d wallace i don't know she's not even i mean she's blonde now i you guess you would never you would never describe a male actor yes in that the way. happy go the attractive handsome, the first brunette. the first adjective about her is a, the attractive happy-go-lucky blonde actress like go fuck yourself yeah god forbid she's unhappy the talent award-winning blah 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 something you don't even need to put that she's blonde in it yes we see the picture of her and she's still kicking ass too she's uh she's been in a lot of stuff recently she pops up in horror she's a she's a true she also pops uh, up queen she also pops up in a lot of all my christmas movies which i want to have a patreon and force you guys to watch some of them what do you call when d wallace puts out appetizers and snacks for her guests at christmas time these nuts. <laughs> These nuts. <laughs> That's pretty good. How did got I it. know? How did I know? So after this cool cold open, we get introduced to the town. Uh, it's this town called Fairwater. It's supposed to be said Northern California, but it's very clearly set in New Zealand. Oh my god! It's so funny to me that this is trying to be pulled off as anywhere in America because yeah. it looks so not like America. But There's it nothing is in America that looks like this. This town. beautiful, so stunning. It's gorgeous. Good yeah. God, it fooled me. I thought it was East Coast or something. It I did have, feel I East Coast vibes, no except for the fact that the houses are built into the hills like that i feel like that's mm. so like european even the cars too i feel like they just kind of kept the european cars all the cars were small that was something we noticed in italy is like every it's smart car small car culture there we live in big car culture here in america yeah small cars i like the small car culture even though it's hard to say i can't get it out of my mouth without fucking it up small car culture small car culture small car culture small car culture i guess you're better than me Speaking of New Zealand, we uh, we got to work with um, Taika Waititi and Jemaine Clement one time, and Justin oh, and I humble brag, humble brag, <laughs> humble brag. Justin and I's company is our production company is called Bad Tastes, and we have Bad Taste hats. And I was wearing a Bad Taste hat at the time. Peter Jackson's first film was called Bad Taste, and so uh, Jemaine Clement walked up to me when we were shooting, and he goes, "Be enticed." 
is it Peter Jackson? And I was like, no, that's our production company. He's like, all right. <laughs> Good story. Good story. <laughs> and the other thing that happened uh, on that shoot was I, at this point in time, when we worked with, with Taika and Jermaine, we only knew them from what we do in the shadows and um, Ugh, the best, the, the flight of the flight Concords. Of the, flight of the Concords, yeah. Taika was not the Taika Watiti of today. He wasn't like the big, huge Marvel I, whoa, director. Whoa, I knew him from Eagle Ver- yes, I was a huge we, fan of we, Eagle Versus We both Shark were and, aware of him. Yeah. What we didn't know. The household name. What we didn't known. know was yeah. exactly how to pronounce Taika. I, in particular, didn't know how to pronounce it, and you didn't correct me. Oops. And so for the first half of the shoot of filming with them, I kept calling him Taka. I thought his name was Taka Watiti. And so I kept being like, Taka, can you do this? And Taka, can you do that? And he didn't say anything for a long time. And then finally, out of the blue, I was like, oh, and Taka. And he goes, Taika, like Taiga, mate. And that was how I learned how to say Taika Watiti. Where did your stomach <laughs> fall into your ass? Oh my God, yes. I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's not, but it's like, it would be weird. I guess I would have to like find a way to pull you aside, but it's like when you're shouting at someone the wrong name, <laughs> yeah. it's not my place to but be like, I don't think dude, you'd, I don't think, get his name right, bro. I don't think you knew either. Like it wasn't, his name was not said aloud the way it is now. Like you, we had only ever read his name before. We had sure, read sure. it on the cover of the, like I had never seen an interview with him. You know, he I wasn't. I don't think I ever thought his name was Taka, but I could have seen me not knowing if it was Taika or Taika. Well, this was on production day. So you and I had had probably weeks of pre-production where we were probably saying his name back and forth. And at no point did you ever say his name's not Taka. I don't know if he... I think you were saying Taka too, dude. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I think we were all saying Taka. I think the producer was saying Taka. We were the whole... Maybe let's blame the producer. Let's <laughs> yeah. blame the producer. I'll take that. I would love to go to New Zealand too. Seems oh my fucking God, beautiful me there. too. I'd love to shoot a film in New Zealand. Me too. And they have good tax breaks. And they have Weta. Yeah. I would love to go to New Zealand. For folks who don't know too, Weta is the computer graphics company that Peter Jackson started and used on this movie. They were pretty much brand new when they took on the job of this, and they were immediately in completely over their heads. They were always behind the eight ball. They had to rush, which explains some of the last things they did was the sequences where they went up to heaven and went to hell and stuff. And they pretty much mm. say in the documentary, like, we were literally like cramming this sequence in at the very end of the movie. Like, we did yeah. not have the time to figure this shit out. Same thing with the blob guy. But Weta would go on to win a shit ton of awards with Lord of the Rings, and they make monkeys and shit for stuff. They do the effects for that movie X, all the old people effects, the prosthetics and stuff. They're still also a practical physical effects company as well. (laughs) So we get to meet Michael J. Fox, plays Frank Bannister. He's a squirrely ghost investigator, paranormal investigator. We immediately see that he's a terrible driver. He ends up crashing into this garden. (laughs) The people whose house he crashes into are uh, Lucy, who is played by Trini Alvarado, and her husband, Ray, who is played by Peter Dobson. I love Ray. I think he's so funny. He is very funny. He's very funny. And I don't, I'm sure I've seen him in other things, but this is the movie that I remember him. He's like a big TV actor now. Yeah. But he played young Elvis and Forrest Gump. Yeah. And he played Elvis in another thing, too. Yeah. The sequence that we see of them, their house is getting haunted. The bed starts levitating. All the stuff starts to float around the room. And one of the things in particular is this little Elvis statue that floats in front of his face. And he goes, he's alive or something like that. Or he lives. (laughs) Um, And yeah, Corey looked him up on IMDb and saw that not only does he play young Elvis in Forrest Gump, who, by the way, the voice of that Elvis is Kurt Russell. 
Mm-hmm. But he also plays Elvis in another movie. He's played Elvis multiple times. So I guess this was maybe a little like nod to his his Elvis playing stuff. Was this little Elvis statue? He kind of reminds me of uh, Barry Pepper as well. Yeah, he's got a little Pepper vibe. Ray, we have a poltergeist. So they end up having to call Michael J. Fox. He comes over. Uh, persistent residue of the departed. Always a problem this time of year, Dr. Linsky. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. Yeah. The, uh, the activity is currently located where? Uh, well, I don't know. It just went quiet about five minutes ago. Well, quiet? The dining room table spun in a counterclockwise direction. Uh, I don't think that that one happened, no. The toilet seat lid banged up and down? No. Did the bed levitate? Yeah, yeah, with me on it. Spontaneous recurrent psychokinesis. Oh, boy. Oh, this could be the worst case I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, this is bad. Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but it's not going to be cheap. Although I do offer a six-month guarantee. Uh, In the process, he notices that Ray has this number 37 sort of floating on his forehead. And he doesn't understand what that is. We follow Frank home, and we see that out pops out of the trunk of his car are two ghosts, Cyrus and Stuart. It's two funny little sidekick ghosts. You guys left behind, right? And I, I get to the house. Nothing's happening. Couldn't believe it. You guys didn't even bang the toilet seat lid. You made me look like an asshole. We strained our backs lifting that heavy ass bed, Frank. Oh yeah, who was the idiot who put the number in the guy's forehead? It wasn't funny. Start pulling your weight, guys. You're going back to the cemetery. Yeah, well you can pull this, Frank. I'm about to go like Jesse on your ass. I'm going to find me some other black ghosts and then organize a march. The African-American Apparition Coalition, the AAAC. And I'm going to tell you something, Frank. It ain't nothing worse than a bunch of pissed off brothers that's already dead. Cyrus is played by Shy McBride, who is very funny. He's so funny. And Stuart is played by Jim Fife. He's using these two ghosts to swindle people into thinking their houses are haunted so that he can charge them to clean the house. This brings me to another gripe. Gripe it up, Beach. They're underutilized in the movie. Mm. I wish there was more of them, yeah. Yeah. They start off strong, the filmmakers weaving them in in a great way. Yeah. And then he abandons them and they just come in to save the day. (laughs) They're just always coming in to save the day and like, there's no one-liners or comedy or character development anymore. They're just And there's so much at the top. We do get a lot of it at the top top. and there are a lot of deleted scenes that- I don't think are good, but they are technically giving you what you're asking for. But the problem is, is that rather than doing character development, it's doing more like ghost gaggy stuff. Like there's a moment where uh, Cyrus's head like pops through the drain as Michael J. Fox is taking a shower and he's saying stuff no, I don't like, want that. I feel I don't, I don't like this gig anymore. And it's not good. Yeah, it's, it's stuff like that. There's a little ghost dog that's running around his house. I like his house because it's like this sort of big unfinished mansion that like has walls that aren't complete and there's no windows. It's so open. You can see out through everything. So it's technically an interior space, but it kind of always feels like you're outside and you get to sort of take advantage of these really beautiful New Zealand backgrounds that they had at their disposal. And it makes it more interesting than just being kind of cooped up in a house, which a lot of this opening sequence stuff takes place in this place. And the other ghost that he lives with is the judge played by John Astin. People might know John Astin as Gomez Adams from the TV show, not from the movies, but for mm. the television show. 
And like Justin said, Rick Baker did the makeup effects for the judge. Judge looks cool. I love his judge big elephant. Really cool. He's like a rickety old skeleton cowboy man. He's rotting away. You can see straight through his stomach into his spine. His jaw is kind of dangling off of his face. Ugh, it's kind of gross. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Griffin and, Dunn makeup in, in American Werewolf. Mm-hmm. Just not as and gruesome. And he has that great, that great, great cool moment in the movie when he has sex with a corpse and says, <laughs> yeah. I love when they lie Oh my god, I, I, like I have that written down. I'm like, no, like why did they have to make the old man a freak? <laughs> like, he's so lovable and then he just goes and, ugh. He's horny. There's all this innuendo. He's like, my ectoplasm's all dried up. <laughs> Amen. He just wants to get back to his coffin. He's got a real comfy coffin just waiting for him at the graveyard. Um, and yeah, the way they did these ghosts is Pretty different than the way it would be done today. Today, they would just probably shoot all of this on green screen. They would have everybody just interacting with green screen. They'd just replace all the backgrounds. They'd separate the people. But back in this day, they used motion control rigs. They would shoot everything with Michael J. Fox first in the practical space without the ghost there. So it is the Roger Rabbit technique. And he literally said that he would get headaches every day because he was having to constantly focus on nothing, pretend like something was there. And he said he would be going cross-eyed and it would make his, he would have a migraine at the end of every day. And then sometimes months later, they would go back with all of the motion control settings that they accumulated on the original shoot day. They would re-put those back into the motion control rig on a blue screen stage and they would shoot all the ghosts with the same camera movements, doing all the same blocking and everything, and then they would composite those together. Frank Bannister goes into town, and he sees Ray, the husband of Trini Alvarado. He's a ghost now, and he's running down the street. That sequence, they actually had to, like, because he's running on the sidewalk and they needed to see all that, they did actually have to shoot it there on the location. And so they had to have dudes holding, like, a portable blue screen running behind him same process where they That's would shoot cool. the shot first without him and then shoot it with him. But yeah, and they would like, you know, funny videos in the in the documentary where they're like crashing into mailboxes and stuff like that as they're running behind him. Pretty fun <laughs> stuff. Uh, the guy tells him that he had a heart attack. We learn that this whole town has basically had like an epidemic of heart attacks. People are suddenly and mysteriously dying of heart attacks all over. The newspapers are writing about it and... Ray is just one of the new victims of it. We get this kind of fun graveyard sequence where they go and we get to see that's where majority of the ghosts seem to live. The graveyard was originally supposed to have a character called the gatekeeper. Did you hear about this? Mm -mm. He was supposed to be this big, massive cherub baby that was like the boss of the graveyard. And he sort of dictated who comes and who goes from it. And so initially when he goes into the graveyard, he gets confronted by this oversized floating cherub baby who's like, hey, Bannister, you can't come in here. You know you're not allowed here. It looks fucking ridiculous. They literally built like a big old man. It's like a person in a suit wearing a big old cherub baby suit with wings, and they hoisted him up on wires and floated him around, and the head is like animatronic. It definitely looks like something out of Dead Alive. It doesn't fit with the tone of this movie at all. Very clear why they cut it. But it's also like, how in the world did they ever even think that was a good idea to begin with? And interestingly, that's not the first time that a cherub baby has come up on this podcast about being cut from a movie. You remember that there was that whole deleted scene at the end of The Fly with a cherub baby? The cocoon inside of her opens up and a cherub baby comes floating out and (laughs) drifts off into heaven. Yes. (laughs) A cherub baby with wings. That was the way The Fly was originally supposed to end. 
And when I told you that, you said, if I had pitched you that idea, you would have checked me into a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the lesson to be learned here is that if you have an idea that involves a chair baby, just know it's never going to make it into the film. And we just did it. abandon it right away. When did we put we a chair baby in something? Hacking high school. Cameron. <laughs> Cupid, Cameron yes, Britton. We put it from from Mindhunter. I guess if you're shooting diaper, a diaper, yeah, put him in a diaper. I can't believe he was like, "Yeah, I'll do this yeah, for you guys." Folks might know Cameron Britton as the man who plays Ed Kemper. In brilliant actor, brilliant, actor. brilliant performance. Probably the most memorable performance of that entire amazing series. Jack and Justin used him as a chair baby. It's fun to do that to your friends sometimes. To top it all off, that was after he had shot Mindhunter. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, so Cameron, what's the difference between how me and Jack work and how mm -hmm. David Fincher works? Probably the amount of takes, right? That's the only difference. Yeah, we got it in one. We're more like uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, exactly. They end up going to like this medieval times-esque restaurant. And while here, he sees the Reaper. Kills this other guy that has a 38 on his head. He comes out of the mirror and he grabs this old dude through the chest, squeezes his heart. He falls on the ground. Then this big light from heaven comes into the bathroom. And we see this guy's ghost sort of float out of his body. And he starts to float up through it. And he goes, Mom? <laughs> Peter Jackson wanted a very traditional looking Grim Reaper for this. He didn't want it to like, he didn't want to stray too far from the classic it works. look it of the Reaper. It works. me as a kid. Yeah, I think it's awesome, and I think it's a great it's, way to like establish a bad guy, somebody that we kind of already yeah. know, you know? Especially the scythe. I feel like the scythe, uh, I don't know, that was maybe the first time I've seen that in a movie mm -hmm. used as a weapon, and it spooked me. Yeah, mm -hmm. it looks cool. I love the way he presents it, too. Like, he reaches into his cloak and then, like, stabs the scythe into there. It's like, it's almost like he unlocks yeah. the scythe. Majority of the Reaper is completely computer-generated, but there are... Uh, there is a little bit of a mix. They initially thought they would do it all with a rod puppet, that they would shoot over a green screen, potentially underwater, they thought, like to get that sort of flow of his cloak. But they were like, that's going to be kind of difficult to do. Let's see if we can make CG work. But also in the meantime, they tried every other possibility. They created like full-size puppets. For a handful of shots, it is a guy in a suit, but for the most part, it's... Computer. CG. And so they bring in this investigator, this like FBI investigator named Dammers, played by Jeffrey Combs. Woo! My favorite performance in the movie. He's such a fucking standout. Basically, he's this agent that has gone undercover in various cults and has seen and experienced things that no one could believe. And he's come out on the other side totally fucked up. My body is a roadmap of pain. 1974, children of Lucifer, three years undercover, drinking goat's blood. 1981, I infiltrated the cult of the dead. I was involved in ritualistic cannibalism, in orgiastic dances reaching painful thresholds of intense physical eroticism. I have withstood excruciating pain, but I will not be broken. Can you guess what my favorite 
moment is in the entire movie. It's a grace note. It's a very small detail. It's a performance choice. It's the moment when Jeffrey Combs is telling the story of Michael J. Fox and he starts piecing the numbers together. And so he has this little moment where he goes like, three, three, three plus three is six. You're you're super close. Okay, is it the moment where he sits down but then immediately pops back up because his butt... <laughs> my favorite detail the choice is like i hope that he improvised that moment yeah we get all these implications that he can't sit down <laughs> he it's painful for him to sit down and he can't be close to women either when the, when he's introduced in this movie he's literally like hiding behind a corner because trini alvarados is sitting there and and they're like dammers has a little bit of an issue with women <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Combs had so much input into the he he was so dedicated to this character. He's the one who decided that he should have a Hitler haircut because he was like I, I feel like his yeah. He was like in his, I imagine that in his past he had to like go undercover in like Nazi groups. And so that would have informed his haircut there. He helped design the carvings on his chest. He, without talking to Peter Jackson, went to the special effects guys and had them make special pieces that he could put behind his ears to make his ears pop out. That's hilarious. Because he was like, I just thought it would be freaky looking. Yeah, Which I wonder true. like with like a role like this, mm-hmm. like did he audition for it? Did they just give it to him? He, he did audition yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. So is he like, because I don't imagine that Peter Jackson wrote the role to be this cuckoo kachoo. He said that he did write the role to be weird, but that Jeffrey like, Combs took it to the Because level. even the things that you're talking about when he's like, seven, three, seven, seven. Yes. It's like, that feels like an actor's choice of like, I'm to sure, go wackadoo. I'm sure it probably is, yeah. They both agreed that he should have black eyes, so they made these specific contact lenses for him, so that when you look at this character, he literally has like beady black eyes. He has, there's like no differentiation between his irises and his pupils. Wow. It looks fucking awesome. And they the this whole scene where he's telling... Lucy, the story of Frank Bannister, majority of the scene is played in extreme close-up. And it's so fucking amazing and funny to like see his eyes darting. He's so good. And there's these real there's a really great sequence in the making of documentary where Peter Jackson explains that he could not keep it together during these scenes, particularly the shots on his eyes. And there's all these mm-hmm. great bloopers of him totally committed to the scene doing it amazingly and Peter Jackson just ruining it because he bursts out laughing, <laughs> just looking at the tight close-ups of his eyes moving back and forth. So yeah. funny. Jeffrey also, Combs too, is the he king. was like drooling at one point too, like spit coming down yes. his mouth. <laughs> yes. We had the privilege of working with Jeffrey Combs on the season two of Standing Against Evil. That season was very fun in terms of our guest stars because everybody was so funny, but I would say he was by far the best actor that we had come on and guest on that show. He was just, you could tell he loves acting and he loves making choices and he loves being a part of it. And he was super fun to work with. And we asked him a lot about the Frighteners. And from what I remember him telling us, he's very proud of this movie. And honestly has a little bit of, seems like a little bit of melancholy that he wasn't asked to do another Peter Jackson movie because he had so much fun and he thought he had such a good relationship with Peter Jackson that he was like, I was kind of bummed that he never asked me to come do any of his other movies. That would be a bummer, especially when you are like the standout of the movie, it feels like. And I do think he is the standout of this movie. This was probably the first time I'd ever seen him. So by the time I saw Reanimator, which is the role that he's like most known for, 
I was like, it's the Frighteners guy. Yeah, he's great. Always good. Did you notice that Melanie Linsky is in this movie? Oh, yeah. I screamed. She's just sitting there. She was not the Melanie Linsky that we know today. She was just a a good New Zealand actress. She had gotten acclaim for Heavenly Creatures, Peter Jackson's previous movie. I wonder if she was like, what the fuck? Yes, Peter Jackson asked me to be in his next movie as a background character. No, she probably just was like a friend. Oh, yeah, the that day was just of, like, was town. I'm sure it's like, you're my buddy. I'll come in for a day and do a, yeah, little, yeah. a buddy favor. I do, I do think she would be good as... Uh, I do too. You know, she was maybe uh, too young. As though. Lucy? Maybe she was well, did too you young? notice too that Lucy's last name is Linsky? Mm. They're like Doctor Linsky. Yeah. So we, yeah, I wonder if like I feel maybe like it had it, to be a nod. It could. Well, it was either a nod or the role was written for her, <gasps> and th- the American yeah. producers were like, "No, you got to get an American in here." Ugh, probably it is that bullshit. That, that could be a Zemeckis call. They had final cut on this movie, by the way. Zemeckis was able to get Peter Jackson final cut on the film. That's impressive. So Lucy starts to investigate it. He goes to his house. He finds out all this stuff. She ends up making her way back to D. Wallace's house. And there's a little bit of a like, is D. Wallace just being abused? Is she good? Is she bad? But she's a bad girl. She's a bad girl. And it reveals that. And basically, there's this little tease throughout the movie that there's this serial killer named Johnny Bartlett, played by... Jake Busey, son of Gary. But we only see it on like old TV news footage and stuff. And in all the old footage, you see that he's obsessed with his body count. He's like, got me a score of 12. That's one more than Stark weather. And essentially it's revealed that Johnny Bartlett is the Grim Reaper. And it starts to explain why all these people who are having heart attacks have these numbers carved into their head. Because every time he would kill somebody in real life, he would carve the kill count onto their forehead. And so now in death, he's continuing the streak, but kind of masquerading as like the Grim Reaper, which I think is a cool idea. It's a little bit of a hat on a hat, but I also don't mind it. What do you think? Yeah. Do you think that the, the story gets too complex or do you, do you like it? No, I like it. I think the Grim Reaper aspect of it is perfect. Yeah. Because it creates an interesting monster for us to watch instead mm-hmm. of a, a Gary, another Gary Busey or <laughs> uh, Jake Busey ghost, wa- transparent ghost walking around. Um, but it gives us a chance it, it to have like a real... his evil. Yeah. His pure evil straight out of hell, you know? Yeah. When I think about how the movie would end if it didn't, if it didn't turn out that it was like sort of a human ghost underneath i don't know exactly where the movie would go if it's like now we have to fight the grim reaper yeah, no, i kind of no, no. like that they reveal that it's a a ghost ghost Being who has a an agenda <laughs> yeah and and they can figure out a way to sort of like stop him it sort of works for me even though it's technically contrived and again complicates the rules in a way that's like but i don't care i yeah. think it's fun you just have to kind of go along with it and I think it works great. Lucy ends up getting the number put on her head and Michael J. Fox realizes that she's going to be next and the only real way that he's going to be able to stop this ghost is if he becomes a ghost himself. So initially, he's willing to just blow his own head off. But Lucy's like, hang on, I have an idea. I'm a doctor. I have access to great things like a giant (laughs) freezer (laughs) and medicine that can slow your heartbeat down and kill you softly so that we can then revive you 20 minutes later. So they basically come up with kind of like a Nightmare on Elm Street-esque plan where they're going to kill him for 20 minutes and keep him in a freezer and then revive him before he's like dead for forever. 
Yeah. Right. But it's a movie. So, you know, it can't go well. Can no. It? Of course not. Can't go well. And it works out great for a minute. Only problem is, is old Jeffrey Combs comes in and takes Lucy, kidnaps her, takes her to the graveyard. This is where we reveal, too, that he also has a little hemorrhoid butt ring that he takes out of his coat. <laughs> important. Important. It's a funny little moment where it feels like he's going to pull out a weapon. It doesn't look comfortable at all. Like Those are real, though. As we all know... I've had my oh, God, brush not again. with the hemorrhoids. Never had to go butt ring route. Mine healed fairly quickly, thankfully. But I don't think I didn't look up if I was going to need to get one of those butt rings and mm-hmm. where to get them. My body is a roadmap of pain. <laughs> Michael J. Fox has a ghost, ends up intervening. Uh, he meets there basically right as the Reaper is there to kill Lucy. This is the part where Michael J. Fox takes the assault rifles from Arlie Ermey's ghost and uses it to blast the hell Reaper yeah. into thousands of pieces. So cool. <laughs> so cool. I mean, I thought it was cool as hell as a kid. Cool as hell. Of course. Yeah, of course you did. And basically, again, confuses the rules a little bit, but he blasts the Reaper into a thousand pieces, which kind of then reveals that Johnny Bartlett is inside of it in this sort of sludge right. form, which looks pretty cool. Yeah. Got me a score of 40. But before Michael J. Fox can fully kill him, because it seems like he's going to be able to kill him here, he starts using the scythe to actually like attack him with it. Lucy revives him because his 20 minutes are up. So now he's human again. But they know the truth, and they realize they've got to get his ashes from Patricia's house, take them to a church, and I guess God will sort it out there. (laughs) As he does. And of course, the closest church to them is the chapel inside of the old abandoned hospital. That part made me laugh out loud. I was like, what? That's the only church in the whole town? But hey, if it gets us to an an awesome location, I'm down for it. I mean, at this point, I'm just like, okay, let's get to it. And it's the hospital where Johnny Bartlett committed his massive killings. Of course, yeah. Which I think movie. it's cool. I think the sequence is awesome. The way they sort of the way they do the flashback the is very cool. Yeah. They do it in this cool way where it, like something will sort of trigger the flashback and it'll sort of smash them. It's there. spooky. And the young, the young version of D Wallace. D Wallace, thank you. The young version of D Wallace is really good. She like is good. I mean, she doesn't speak at all, but like her eyes, like she's like creepy and kind of cool. I liked her, and I want to say I've seen her play a young Jessica Lang before. I'm gonna actually look her up right now. Didn't she look familiar to you? She looked a little familiar. And the way she was like walking around, like with a little smirk on her face and stuff, she was creepy. She was a good young D. Yeah. She had D down. <laughs> Big D energy. She had, Big B- D- she had BDE. D energy. Okay, here we go. Nicola Cliff plays young Patricia. Let's see what her filmography is. Xena, Warrior Princess. Oh, man. She's not been in anything else. Is she dead or did she just not do any more movies? Is she dead? Remember that song, Shaniqua Don't Live Here No More? Yes. Do you remember that song, Justin? No. Shaniqua don't, don't live, live here, here no more. more. No more. Shaniqua don't live here no more. No more. Shaniqua don't live here no more. Mm-hmm. Is Shaniqua there? Hell no. So <laughs> when I was a kid, I watched that music video all the time. I thought the guy on the phone was going, Is Shaniqua dead? And then they go, Hell no. <laughs> so I thought it was a guy calling for Shaniqua and being like, Is she dead? And they were like, No. Hell no, she's alive. <laughs> um, well, Nicola Cliff, 
Where you at, girl? Let's get you back. Let's move on. Move on from her. No one cares about her. (laughs) So, yeah, we already talked about it. Dammers comes. He foils the day. He pulls out an Uzi. Michael J. Fox does this little trick where he, like, gets out of the way just in time for Patricia to blow his head off. He turns into a ghost. I think it's cool. Corey likes it, too. Justin thinks it sucks. I didn't think Corey thought it was, was I did, that I, enthusiastic. I, I, I about wasn't it. that enthusiastic, but I don't. I, I think it's kind of funny that he's suddenly a ghost head. Well, you know who else likes it? Peter Jackson. <laughs> Beard Tyst. Sure, sure. So basically, Patricia ends up killing Michael J. Fox, strangles him to death. He falls on the ground dead. He floats up to heaven. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this part. Grabs her and pulls her up with him. And so then Johnny Bartlett, he's got to go up with her, too, because they are actually in love. And I will say, I'll give them that. They're cold-blooded killers, but they do love each other. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And love is a sweet thing. So he follows her. Most people would follow their love to hell. But when you're a psycho serial killer, you got to follow your love to heaven. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens here. But then hell sucks them down. They get to heaven. No, no, no. They don't get to heaven. They, They... they almost get to heaven. They get about halfway there. Michael J. Fox gets loose. He goes to heaven. And he's watching them from the pearly gates. And they're like, See you later, Frank. We gotcha. <laughs> We're going back down to get us some more. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, that pearly light turns into a big old worm stomach. And then all these other fucking worms start coming out. And it's a real worm fest. You know who would be really scared of this scene? Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven. He doesn't like worms? Worms. I had another dream that my wife had worms in her face. And then that other guy that I killed, he had some worms in his face, too. I don't like worms. That's the exact script. I don't think he script. says I don't That's like worms. That's the exact worms. script. I'm just kind of scared He's not of Indiana worms. Jones. Hey. Hey, Morgan. I had another worm. He doesn't name. call his, his the character, his the... A real Morgan. actor's name. <laughs> Morgan. He doesn't. He's in character. He's not going to call him Morgan Freeman. Morgan, tell Gene I had another dream again about the worms. <laughs> my wife. Okay, go on. And they basically get ripped to pieces by these, like, fucking worms. And Peter Jackson said he loved the ideas. Nope. Shooting this scene. He loves the idea of the worms. He was like, I was the leader of the Worm Appreciation Academy. Everybody else was like, can we think of something else? And he was like, I just truly feel like it's got to be worms. <laughs> truly. And I got to say, I don't have any issues with these worms. I think they kind of look cool. They start going through their eyeballs and their mouths and stuff, and it basically rips them to shreds. And then all of a sudden, you realize that they're in the gut of a worm, and it clomps them like the fucking dune worms. And brings him down to hell. The fire pit to hell. It genuinely amazes me the things that you find cool. Like <laughs> we align on so much stuff, but every single week I show up here, I learn something new mm-hmm. about you that um that I love. It's what I love about you. <laughs> what can I say? I'm a worm guy. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> And, and he yeah, goes this to is heaven to and he sees his buddies. If you watch Let's high, take a one-way watch... tunnel, one-way tunnel to the <laughs> yeah. end of this movie, please. That's right. He does. He says it's an express bus to hell. No stops, 
no fair or something mm-hmm. like that. I said it at the beginning. Yeah, we heard we heard you at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> um, and yeah, if you watch the movie Hideaway with Jeff Goldblum and Alicia Silverstone, Jeremy Sisto, you'll see a very similar ending where a guy gets taken to hell in a very similar way, but doesn't look nearly as good. This is a good three or four notches above Lawnmower Man in terms of the effects. Who does he see in heaven? <laughs> and then in heaven, he sees Cyrus and Stuart. And they walk up cool. to him. And, and, and his wife. And his wife. And his wife says, it's time for you to go home. And I Michael J. You love Fox this part says, too, right? I am home. <laughs> it's part made me this. cry. <laughs> yeah, you cried. I know you did. <laughs> she says, no, you're not home, buddy. It's not your time. And they push his ass back down, <laughs> and he falls back to earth into this mortal coil, and he awakens. And that's where me and his wife differ, because if I'm in heaven and Jack's in heaven, and I know he's trying to fuck around with some other lady on earth, I'm like, yeah, bitch, you are. You home. ain't pushing Let's me back go. to go no. back to her. <laughs> Unless maybe I got my own little angel up in heaven. I would feel weird if I was of in Michael J. Do. Fox's shoes, though. I would feel weird. Yeah. I would be like, I literally just saw my wife in heaven. She pushed me back down to this. And I got this sweet honey here waiting on me. Is she going to be judging me? Or was that the. She got hall a sweet pass? angel heaven. Sweet heaven angel. In heaven, that's it's the a heaven that hall pass. shit doesn't yeah, matter. That's true. You got to yeah. let that yeah, shit yeah, yeah. go. You're, right. You're still holding on to that in heaven. That's you don't true. belong. Damn. Damn. I'm going to get sucked by the worms. In heaven? Hall passes for days. And Everyone's he does. He goes pass. down there and they presumably fuck. And it ends with a little picnic. His house is getting demolished, which means he is letting go of his past life. He's not even going to finish that fucking house. Mm-mm. He's just going to demolish it. Meanwhile, they are having a picnic, which I think also is kind of a dig on his wife. If I was his wife watching from heaven, I would be like, why are you having a picnic right next to the house that we were going to live in together yeah. while it gets demolished by a big monster truck? Trinity says, I got something to tell you. We don't know what she's going to say. Is she going to say she's pregnant? We think. But then the police officer comes. Who I love that police officer. We didn't talk about him, but he's in so many things. Yeah, what's his name? He's really funny, and he's also really good in this movie. He's so good in this movie, and he always plays a cop in things. Like I think he's that's all I've ever seen him as. Troy Evans. Yes, he's a classic cop. And he's so funny. He's in Ace Ventura. He's in Demolition Man. He's in Fear and Loathing, playing a police chief. He's in Under Siege. Yep, all his roles are police chief, tough cop, good cop, bad cop. (laughs) Gus, I'm sure that was a cop. He's funny. He wants to write a book about the experience with Frank. Frank's like, why don't you ask your cohort there for help writing the book? He turns around, he doesn't see anybody, he thinks he's joking, but then we see Dammers, Jeffrey Combs, the ghost of Combs, riding in the back of the cruiser. Why he's choosing to to, to follow the, the chief of police We'll never know. But what we do know is that Lucy can see Dammers. And that's what she was going to tell him. That's the secret she's got to tell him. She's got the Haley old Joel Osmond disease. She can now see ghosts too. Hey, that's great. I think if you're going to be with somebody, you should be with somebody that has the same exact kind of trauma that you have. (laughs) And so that you can trauma bond with each other for Mm -hmm. the rest of your lives. Beautiful. She decides to make a little joke by putting her picnic blanket over her shoulders and pretending like she's the Grim Reaper. 
the person that just caused all the trauma that they've gone through. I do like that she picks up the blanket and and I don't know, there's something about that that's like kind of cool and she looks she looks rad. And it does a good like, job. It looks like the guy. Yeah. It's cute. Taking, the, taking her trauma and turning it around, flipping yeah. that frown upside down. Which is down, all you can you know? do. You got to laugh through the yeah. trauma. You got to laugh through it. Exactly. And we get a nice New Zealand cover of Blue Usher Colts. Don't fear the reaper. And that, my friends, is the end of The Frighteners. Woo! I will say the font is good. It's a classic spooky font with a little ghostly Gaussian blur around it. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get final thoughts on Peter Jackson's The Frightness. The Frightness. (laughs) (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final thoughts on Peter Jackson's 1996, Robert Zemeckis produced, The Frighteners. This movie wasn't very well received. It wasn't a box office hit. It was actually a box office disappointment. Cost a little over $30 million to make. I think it made under $29 million in total. Critics were very mixed to negative on it. And um, I think it became a cult hit on video due to viewers like us. Mm. So now that you know that context, Mm -hmm. Corey Clifford, (laughs) what are your final thoughts on The Frighteners? I think this is a fun time. If you're out there right now and it's October and you're wanting some a Halloween movie that maybe you haven't seen before or you're like wanting not too scary, like you're wanting feel good Halloween vibes. I think this is exactly that for you. It just brings back such nostalgia for me, at least. And this is not a movie, not nostalgia in the way of I saw this movie as a child. I didn't see this movie until I was a full ass grown adult. But it gives that, like I said earlier, that afternoon rainy weather vibe. Um, Michael J. Fox, you love him. He's a star. I, everybody in this movie. So I, I laughed in it. Everybody's funny. 
the ghost stuff gives you the the October feels. It's just um I don't know, it's a nice movie. It's not the best movie I've ever seen, but it's a movie I w- I will revisit probably for years to come. Yeah, I'll just piggyback on that. I agree. This is not a great movie by any means, but I think this is a solid down the middle fun horror comedy. Yes. That should play on TV every Halloween. Absolutely. Even though I don't think it does. I don't know if I've it's ever per- seen to this me, on TV. To me, it's honestly perfect for like a 13 nights of Halloween yeah. or whatever that like whatever that family channel has is. It keeps your attention. It's got good performances. It's got fun sequences. It zips by and it's great to look at. What else can you fucking ask for, in my opinion? So I give it a thumbs up and I'm keeping this Blu-ray even though I think the cover of it stinks. I wish it was the cover of the poster, but it's a great quality transfer. I get a four-hour documentary that I've now seen twice, and who knows? I might even watch it again sometime in my life, so there you go. Justin, final thoughts on The Frighteners. I'll tell you what else you can ask for. You could ask for a little bit more coherence, a little bit more polish. I think the movie is the perfect example of a movie that we can watch and find a way to love it despite the flaws, but... I'm also thinking about the audience that, like Corey said, maybe didn't grow up with this movie. I think the nostalgia comes from Michael J. Fox, possibly. Mm -hmm. And I think if you haven't seen this movie before, you should watch it. But I don't think it's as good of a movie as I remember it being. That doesn't mean I don't really like the movie. I think there's so many things that came up in this conversation that's just like, why did they do this? Why did they do that? <laughs> yeah. what, how did this not get explained? What does this mean? And like I said, the, the just the fun game of having these two ghost sidekicks uh, that are helping him be kind of a crook is a really exciting premise that I don't think the movie fulfills or or utilizes well um it introduces this great idea and just kind of drops the ball on it as far as i'm concerned i don't really think the special effects hold up that well i am disappointed by the fact that it is a horror movie with an r rating and it's just not mpaa whoever's fault it is is like not relevant to me it's just it's what you're left with right and um it's not pointing the finger at peter jackson it's not saying this is his fault but That's just still what I'm left with. I did watch this movie a lot. This is maybe like my eighth viewing of the film. And it does hold a special place to me. So I can't. That's why I say like we we are watching this movie differently. I think I have to recognize all the ways in which the movie fails in order to come around and say I do still really like the movie. It's tough love. And and I do enjoy the movie. I do enjoy the movie. It's okay to hold the movie up to standards. Yeah. I wish there was more stuff like this today. More more films trying to do this rather than just what we're seeing now of just like the A24 brand of horror where everything has to be super heavy, super trauma yeah. focused, you know, and super uh, as much as I value a social political POV from an artist. I think sometimes horror tends to be the place where good ideas go to die. And what Peter Jackson is doing with the Frighteners is like, I'm just trying, he's just having fun. Yep. This movie isn't about anything. There's yeah. really not any under underlying subtext in this movie. This is a movie that's just meant to be fun. And I think to that end, it's successful. 
I'll say two things just in comment on one, like Corey said, Corey's parents watched this movie this weekend. They'd never heard of it. They totally blind watched it and they were mesmerized. And they didn't come out of it saying greatest movie I'd ever seen, but they both came out of it being like, that was really fun. Mm -hmm. So I think you can, that's, that's a testament to what it can do. And in regards to making movies like this, 100% agree. I want to see more attempts at making movies like this. And I'll just shout out two filmmakers that I think are trying to do movies like this. One of them is Andrew Bowser, who just had a movie that came out that is coming out called Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. I think he is an appreciator of films like this. And I think he is trying to make a particular brand of horror film himself that is similar in tone to this. So be on the lookout for him. And I would say Josh Rubin is also doing the same thing. Who mm -hmm. also did a movie. He's done two movies now, one called Scare Me and one called Werewolves Within that are um, doing Scare Me is one of my favorite tone. like horror comedies that's come out in years and years. Yes. I love Scare Me. Very good movie. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about the frightness, what do you say we play... <laughs> the Grim Reaper Quiz. That's right, folks. The Grim Reaper Quiz. Jake Busey does a fabulous job reaping it up in The Frighteners. But can you name these other films based on the actors playing Death himself? It's multiple choice. Here we go. Question number one. Ian McKellen plays the Grim Reaper in this action fantasy film starring a muscle man. Is it A, Army of Darkness, B, Big Trouble Little China, C, Last Action Hero, or D, End of Days? Justin, End of Days. Corey, guess. C, Last Action Hero. Ding, ding, ding. Huh. Last action uh, hero. He gets okay. pulled from the cinema out of the screen. Ian McKellen. Because it was Gabriel Byrne in End of Days. It, Gabriel Byrne the, plays the devil. The devil. Different, okay, so we're making guy. a distinction. We're talking about the Grim between... Reaper. Grim Reaper. Okay, fair. Death fair. himself. And also Ian McKellen. Was he not in Lord of the Rings? Yeah, he was. There yeah. you go. A little Gandalf. connection. little connection. Gandalf the Grey. That boy, the big Grey. Question number two. Hunky man Brad Pitt plays a sexy Grim Reaper in this loose remake of 1934's Death Takes a Holiday. Is it A, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button? Is it B, The Devil's Own? C, Meet Joe Black? Or D, Johnny Sway? Corey, C, Meet Joe Black. Ding, ding, ding! Corey, you know a thing or two about the Reaper Man. I know a thing or two about Brad Pitt. <laughs> Did y'all know that movie is three hours long? Wow. No, that movie used to play on TV all the time, so that's kind of weird. That's crazy. That, that car crash yes, in the beginning of shocking. the movie mm -hmm. fucked me Me too. Up. Talk about things that get burned into your brain when you see them as a kid. Yeah. That God. one, for real, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen anything this disturbing before. <laughs> mm -hmm. In an otherwise... Yeah, to Brad Pitt in a moment where he's like connecting <laughs> yeah. with Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow. It's not funny. Gwyneth Paltrow, not Gwyneth Paltrow. I Is forget it? her name, but she was she was a very Gwyneth Paltrow type, and she mm. used to be in a lot of yeah. things in the '90s. But don't know what ever happened to her. I always Claire think of it Forlani. As, yeah. yeah, that's right. She was in Mystery Men, Mall Rats. I probably know her from Mall Rats because I don't remember. I saw Mystery Men one time in the theater, and all I remember is Paul Rubens farting a tornado. <laughs> 
and boy did I laugh. But that was the only thing I laughed at. And so, I remember so that all star. He, All-Star di- he came dies, from but then he comes back as the Grim Reaper. Like, what's his? Yeah, he comes back as a Grim Reaper, and I think he's wanting to learn what love is. It's like death mm. is wants to know about something he has no knowledge of. Love. Mm. Cool. Pretty cool, right? <laughs> Makes sense. Totally Total sense. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Corey is in the lead. Question number three. Matt Damon stars as the angel of death, Loki, in this apocalyptic comedy. Is it A, this is the Justin end? Justin Dogma. Ugh, oh, I knew it too. Justin. I knew it quick, too. Quick on the draw with the dogma call. Because you're a big Kevin Smith head. Huge Smith mm-hmm. head. You're, you love the, um, the view askewiverse. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. You don't know what that is? His production company- Is that his, his universe? His production his company universe? was a view askew. <clears throat> and then mm-hmm. when he created like a podcast network and all this stuff and the Jay and Silent Bob movies, it was all under the blanket of the view askewiverse. Wow. So would-, um, would... Red State? No, would would yes, I was going to say would Tusk count as part of that universe? Yes, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. We should revisit Red State. Cuz I used to really I like really Red liking State. it. We like yeah, we like it. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so I might have different feelings on it now. But I used to like it. All right. Justin's got points on the board, but he's still running behind the old corn pone. <laughs> Cornhole. Question number 4. Whoopi Goldberg plays a leather-bound Grim Reaper with an eye patch in this half-animated, half-live-action fantasy film. Is it A, Space Jam, B, Monkey Boat, C, Cool World, or D, The Page Master? Justin, Corey The cool Page Master. It was B, Monkey Bone. Mm. Uh. I knew Page Master was going to trick you because Whoopi is in Tricked Page me. Master. Tricked me. Which is another one I would love to revisit. I used to love Page Master. I saw it in the theaters. Me too. I had it on VHS in that clamshell mm-hmm. case. You ever see that one, Corey? No. Macaulay Culkin starts out live action. That's, he goes to a library. This is sad. This makes me sad. <laughs> that she's ever seen it? Yeah. Like the, there's so many movies that come up in this. I, I don't think, I don't, I wouldn't say that the Page Master is like a quote unquote boy movie. No. Do you feel that way, no, Jack? No. I'm actually it's surprised like dis- because I feel like you would have, having seen Home Alone and, and mm-hmm. My Girl, you probably would have been into Page Master. I was into Richie Rich. There you go. <laughs> that's that's more <laughs> of a boy movie. <laughs> but, but yeah, he, he goes into a library. He's obsessed with books. I believe Whoopi Goldberg is maybe the librarian. I mean, this sounds like a movie I'd love. It's raining. There's a leak. He's trying to rush out before the doors lock on him, and he slips on a puddle of water cracks his head on the library ground and goes oh. into a cartoon world of all the books in the library. and never wakes up and he becomes the page master <laughs> yeah and he's dead he's basically in hell for the rest of the film <laughs> wow okay so it's a tie game oh no it's not nobody got points on that one sorry so Corey's still in the league. yeah 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 question number still five john cleese plays the grim reaper in this classic monty python film is it a monty python and the meaning of life B, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. C, Monty Python and the Life of Brian. Or D, Monty Python Spamalot. Monty Python and the Life of Brian? Justin, do you have a guess? Meaning of life? Ding, ding, ding! 
good scene. And I think the, the, the Grim Reaper effects in that are cool as hell. All right. Tie Would game. you all be open to doing Monty Python on the pod? Do you like Which that one? movie or do you think the it's The Holy overrated? Grail or Meaning of Life? The Holy Grail, yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I used to fucking love it. I could probably yeah. talk endlessly about what it meant to me in middle school. <laughs> well, that's all you need then. Yeah. That's all you need. And I own it. Okay. Tie game, question number six. Bent Eckerot stars as the chess-playing cinematic prototype for the Grim Reaper in this Swedish classic. A, the Phantom Carriage. B, the Mask of the Red Death. C, the Seventh Seal. Or D, Justin Metropolis. Seal. Ding, ding, ding! Fun fact, when Ian McKellen shows up as the Grim Reaper in Last Action Hero, he is playing this version of the Grim Reaper because he comes out of the Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. Okay. Question number seven. William Sadler plays the Grim Reaper in this bodacious buddy comedy. Is it A, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle? B, Wayne's World 2? C, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Or D, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? C, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? <sighs> this is tough because all of them could be it. I know. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say Bogus Journey. Ding, ding, ding. Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey is the one where they die and go to hell, and they got to make it back. Excellent adventure. They just go back in time. Oh, yeah. And collect all these historical figures. Yeah. Bogus Journey, my preferred. And the DVD that I own of that does not have a case because it came with a Happy Meal at McDonald's. What? Wild. So it came in like a little sleeve. A paper sleeve, exactly. And I still have it. <laughs> it's shoved in wow. there on the shelf. All right. Final question. This one is worth Frightner Point. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Which means you'll win if you get this one. Mm-hmm. Nobody plays the Grim Reaper in this horror franchise where death goes unseen as it preys on its victims through ghoulish accidents. Justin. Yeah, uh, final, final destination. destination. Corey got it. <laughs> no, I said, said it first. <laughs> what? <laughs> we said it at the same time. We both win. Let's take it. Let's both take it. Yeah. We Justin and it. Corey win <laughs> the... <laughs> the Green Reaper quiz. I wish the audience could see the faces you make to get to the voices that you do. Hey, you gotta get that's how you get into hey, it's character. Art. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, it's been quite the spooky season of horror movies. We've enjoyed covering this four weeks in a row of horror, but I, for one, am ready to lighten the mood. How about y'all? Me too. Me too. We hope y'all have a happy Halloween season. Trick be, or treat and get lots of candy. Be very safe out there on Devil's Night. And most importantly, have fun. That's the important part. <laughs> most importantly. <laughs> and if you're proud of your costumes, tag us on Instagram. Yeah. Email us pictures. We love to solicit your photographs. DM us. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> we love to solicit Anything your photographs. Anything you send becomes our own uh, yeah, we IP, own it. intellectual property. Let us know what you're dressing up as. 
We'll let you know what also we're dressing up as. Don't listen to the pod while you're walking around trick-or-treating. Be safe. Maintain audio-spatial awareness at all times. And if you are going to listen to it, write us a review, too. Sing us a song. Listen to Sing it out loud. Play it on a jam box so that everybody can hear the pod and let them know. Get more fans. Burn CDR. Use to- uh, Download Roxio Toast and rip... Uh, episodes of the podcast and hand them out on CDRs for Halloween. I think that's a swell idea. I think it's a great idea. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinema possessed pod and unlock the cinema possessed bonus materials. Those are our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Join the Patreon, folks. There's a whole lot of content just waiting for you on there. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And folks, we'll be skipping a week, but we'll be back the week after next with a brand new episode. And Justin, let the people know what movie we'll be talking about. We're watching Robert Reiner's 1987 fairy tale, The Princess Bride. Ooh. Can't wait. Mandy Patinkin, hello. And as always, keep watching the movies you love. And stay possessed. Bye, biteners, frighteners. See you in hell. Bye. Bye.